I'm going to talk to you about adoption, and I'm going to do it the Bible way. So if you happen to have a Bible, iPad, or your notes, whatever you're carrying, smartphone, take a look with me at Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to read it. It says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, Lutheran or Baptist, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Boy, if, if the church could ever figure that one out, it would be a revival. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's child, his seed, and your heirs to all the promises made to him. Can you imagine? Go back and read those promises to Abraham. And God says that when you accept Jesus, you're counted as the seed of Abraham and an heir to all of his promises. I want in on that. And you get in on that through adoption. So he says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject as a child to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem all those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit calling out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God and are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? He's talking to the Jewish people who had gone back under the Mosaic law, days and bells and smells and Sabbaths and all kind of stuff. When Paul had preached to them, you give your life to Jesus and you're out of that law stuff. That doesn't apply to you anymore. Now, the passage that I just read to you is called by theologians, the doctrine of adoption. Now, that God by his spirit actually adopts you if you come to know and trust Jesus to be his son or his daughter. So I want to look at this because it can help us close the gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live. Now, adoption was a little bit different in Paul's day than we think about it. So since it's biblical adoption, we want to understand, I'm going to give you a few principles. Principle number one, adoption means you are given a great future. Adoption means you are given a great future. If you've been adopted by God, you have a glorious future. In fact, in Jeremiah 23, he says that God will not do you evil but good, that you have a hope and a future. There are no people in this room or watching online that don't have, as a believer, a great future ahead. I don't care what your past has been. God says, I'm going to give you a good future. Get your head up, quit sucking your thumb and going into self-pity and rolling over in the parking lot and being a victim. Stop it. If you're a believer, you have rights. And I'm going to give you those rights to this morning. So you've been given a glorious future. The most important aspect of adoption in Paul's day was the connection between adoption and an inheritance. 
I never inherited anything, but it sure would be nice as long as it wasn't bills, right? I want to leave my kids something besides debt. And I hope you do too. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That'll get you off the couch. Come on. So in our day, we mostly think about adoption as something you do for an orphan, to give an orphan a family or to take them into your home. In Paul's day, adoption was not about providing a home for an orphan. In Judaism, an orphan child would often be cared for by other relatives, but there was no formal legal adoption process attached to it. Adoption was done in the Greek-Roman world mostly by wealthy and powerful people, but it was not about taking care of orphans. It was about passing on the family estate and the family's name and line to the next generation. It was to ensure the survival of that family. In the Roman world, the head of a family wanted to make sure that his estate, his family, his influence would go on out into the future. But if he had no male heir, that's a problem. If he didn't have a male heir, then the family and all of its wealth would go to somebody else. So the father would select a male heir through the process of adoption. When the father was going to adopt, he didn't look for an orphan child who didn't have a family and say, I'm going to take him into my home. No, no, no. When orphans did get taken into a home, it was generally to be a family slave. So when a father didn't have a male heir, he would look for somebody who was a young man or a child, and he's thinking, who is somebody that I think might be able to carry on my family's name and my work? So to be adopted in that world was a great honor and a fabulous opportunity. It meant the head of a family believed in you, chose you, wanted you to carry on his work, his name, and the family after he was gone. Have you ever thought about this? All of us with children, I didn't choose them. <laughs> when you adopt, you choose. Hey, that's, that's better, right? Now, Cindy and I just got what came out. But it, if you adopt, you get to choose. And God has chosen you to adopt you into his family. To be adopted by a great, powerful, wealthy father was like winning the lottery. It was the chance of a lifetime. The father was promising to bless you with everything he had. You could carry on his name. You could extend his influence throughout the world. So Paul is saying, if you've been adopted by God, that's you. That's who you are. You have a glorious future. That's why Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 7, if you're adopted as a son, then you are an heir. So the fundamental significance of adoption means that whatever has gone on in your past doesn't stop the fact you have a great future. Live like that. Principle number two. To be adopted means forgiveness from old debts. Forgiveness from old debts. See, often in those days, families would get into financial trouble. And a father would literally sell their kids into slavery to get money. I've kind of thought about doing that, honey, but we didn't. Come on, come on. It's worse that when the father died, his biological son would now be obligated to pay all of father's debts. But if that son got adopted by another father, he was set free or redeemed from all the debts that were attached to his old family. 
If old creditors came after you when you've been adopted, you just point to your new adoptive daddy and say, you take it up with him. I have a new daddy. You are free from any indebtedness through your old father. Now, Paul is saying in Christ, that's you. If you've been adopted by God, it's not just that you look forward to a great future and inheritance. You're right now free from all your moral indebtedness. It's already been paid for. You owe nothing. And, and no creditor, the devil can't come to you and say, aha, 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 debt's already been paid. I've got a new father. He's already taken care of it. I'm under no obligation to you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to go to church for that. I went to that church. Come on, tell me about it. Anybody in here ever commit a sin? No, y'all look so good, well-behaved. You ought to be little cross nightlights. Well, if you ever have, if you carry any guilt or shame or regret, Paul is saying, listen now, if you've been adopted by God, you don't have to carry that around anymore. You have been released from that debt. You owe nothing. When the accuser comes to you and brings shame and guilt and regret over your past, you just point to your heavenly father and say, you take it up with him. Paul says adoption means you've got new forgiveness. Am I living like that? No guilt. Okay, number three. Adoption means new security for insecure people. Security for insecure people. Now that would involve an elaborate ceremony. If a biological father was going to give up his son for adoption, he would actually sell him to a mediator, a third party. The mediator would buy the son from the biological father. The son would belong to the mediator, and the mediator would then bring that son to his new adoptive father. And this new father would make this his legal son. And the reason for this cumbersome ceremony was that biological fathers would often sell their son into bondage, and then if they came back into money somewhere, buy the son back. You can imagine how that would devastate a child. So this ceremony was a way of ensuring for this adopted son, you will never be sold again. You belong to the new father forever. It was an irrevocable promise. It means there is a father now who believes in you, who is saying, no matter what, you will always be my son. And adopted sons were more secure than biological sons. You could not write a adopted son out of your will. You can write a biological son out. And in our, although it's been changing over the years with all kinds of dumb stuff, but most of our adoptive principles used to follow this biblical pattern of adoption. There would be no record of who your former parents were. It'd be erased. You would have a new name with a new family, a new identity, you could never be written out of the will ever. And God is saying, you are now eternally secure in me. No one can pluck you from my hand. You cannot escape my love. You can't get unborn, born again. You, that's stupid. I didn't pay anything to get born again. Jesus paid it. How can I do something then to unborn me? Can I go back in the womb? You, church is nuts. I'm sorry. But eternal life is either eternal or it's temporal. If it's eternal, it means it can never stop. 
now my behavior can, I've got kids that I love. And sometimes in the, when they were little, they would disappoint me. They would do something I didn't approve of. Well, how many of you think God's kids can do the same thing? Well, of course, but I don't get unborn again. God doesn't throw me away, give me back to the slave master, the devil. No, I've already been purchased. So you could never be given up. And Paul is telling us, hey, believer, that's you. God wants you to be secure in him no matter what the circumstances are. How many of you know some insecure people? Oh, for crying out loud, church is full of them. God says, I don't want you to be like that. You can have what everybody in the world is trying to get from money, better health, more attractiveness, more success, more stuff, but it never makes them secure. God said, I will, if you'll allow me, if you'll allow me to adopt you, give you security. You don't have to go through life as an insecure human being. Am I living like that? And then fourth principle, adoption means you get a new identity. A brand new identity. When you get adopted by the new father, he would give you a new name so that you would have a different way of looking at yourself. The new father would introduce this new son to the other family members and they would all formally acknowledge it. Then his name would be entered into the official registry like yours and mine are entered into the book of life. And once this introduction was made, no one could dispute that child belonged to the new father. And this is Paul saying, now you have been adopted in Christ Jesus, all you who were baptized into Christ. So then you become part of the family. You have been adopted by a great father with a great name. You're somebody. So I don't have to go around trying to prove I'm somebody by the car I drive or the house I live in or the clothes I wear or how expensive my pocketbook is. We, we live in a world where people go nuts trying to prove I'm somebody. Look at me. Look at my resume. Look at my accomplishments. Look at all my stuff. Notice me. So Paul is saying, you don't have to do that anymore. You're secure. You can just sign that away from this insane race and step out of it. You're a child of God. So now what's on my resume looks a whole lot better than any stuff I may have or any past accomplishments I might have. Adoption means I got a new identity. I am somebody. But it's not based on where you live or what you drive or how much money you have in the bank. Get over that. Well, if I can get this and I can move over there, then people will think I'm... No. I like to watch a program called Airplane Repo. And they... Anybody watch that? Yeah. Isn't it cool? I would, I'd like to do that. Uh, I'm too old now, but I'd like to do that because I can fly those babies and drive those boats. And it's amazing, from Lamborghinis to private jets uh, to, the, uh, to the different things they get, yachts, uh, helicopters. You, you think these people are living the great life. They're six months past due. They hadn't made a payment. And they're hiding their jet, and they're hiding the Lamborghini, and they're hiding the yacht. And, and it's like, wow, what an illusion. You could drive through any neighborhood that you think is high class, and I guarantee you there are people six months past due. You just don't know it. So I don't want to get my identity from, from that. I want to get my identity from who God says and declared I am. And nobody can change that. No amount of money can change that. No car can change that. No house can change that. No past failure can change that. I already am somebody. Number, six, number five, 
Adoption means you can look forward to a new freedom. A new freedom. If the new father died while the adopted son was just a child, the father would arrange in the will for the child to be cared for by a guardian. Now that tutor or guardian would have all rights over you. They would have this power until the child came of age. Girls in the Roman Empire came to age at 12. Boys came to age from 14 to 18. We were slow learners. So if you were an adopted son and your new father died, you're under this tutor and legally you have no rights. Being under a tutor was like being a slave under a master. So you're living for the day you're set free. Sometimes the father would write in the will what that age would be. So if you're adopted, you're looking to forward to freedom day. This is why Paul says to us in Galatians 4, 1, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. So everybody knows what Paul is talking about. Although he owns the whole estate, he's still subject to the guardians and tutors until the time set by his father. So also when we were children spiritually, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem all of us who were under the law so that we might become free. So Paul says, now if you know Jesus, you've been adopted. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now this is kind of interesting. You might find it interesting. Paul uses the word sons, even though he goes right on to say that in Christ, there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, uh, slave nor free, whatever, right? So, so why does he say you're all sons rather than you're all children? Well, listen, in the ancient world, girls could not be adopted. If they became orphaned, they might be brought up in a family, usually to become a servant but they couldn't get legally adopted because a girl could not become a son, the head of a household. In Greece, a girl could not even inherit. If a father died with a daughter but no son, his estate would pass on to the nearest male relative. But that male relative was required to marry the daughter to get the estate. If the male relative was already married, he was expected to divorce his current wife, happy Valentine's Day, and marry the daughter to get the estate. Interesting, huh? Crazy. So Paul is saying that now, believer, what earthly fathers only gave male sons, the heavenly father is giving to sons and daughters, male and female, bond and free. You are no longer a slave. See, you're all sons, for in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. I mean, who would adopt a slave? Nobody adopts a slave, but God does. There's neither male nor female. Who would adopt a female? Wouldn't happen in Paul's day, but God does. See, the picture Paul gives is that the whole world has been under bondage, religious people, irreligious people. Sometimes he talks about people under bondage to the law. Rules, legalism, rule keeping, referring to Israel. But sometimes it's people under bondage to lust, desire, appetite, impulses, usually talking about the Gentiles. Either way, it's bondage. So he says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem everybody under the law that we might receive the full rights of adoptions. So what is my time? It's not an age, it's the moment I accept Jesus. Because the fullness of time came, Jesus came. And now 
I get the full rights when I accept Jesus of that adoption process. God sent his son. See, remember we talked about the mediator? When a son was going to be adopted, there had to be a mediator who would pay the price for that adoption. Well, God sent his son because we were under the power of sin, death, and guilt. We couldn't pay the price. The father sent his own son to be the mediator, to pay the price, and the price he pays is his own life. Listen, no mediator in Paul's day ever gave his own life, but this mediator did. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, clear scripture. For there is one God and uno, one mediator. How many? One between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Let me pause there. How could that be any clearer regardless of your religious background? Now listen carefully because I want to be so courteous. We esteem Mary, the Virgin Mary. What an incredible woman. We honor her. We revere her. God chose her. But she's not a mediator. She had to be redeemed as well. St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Anthony, St. all the saints they got around here. Some of them are great people. So we can honor, we can revere them. I want to be very courteous. But I'm using clear scripture in any Bible you want to give me where you can find any other mediator between God and man, between me and my God, other than Jesus. It doesn't exist. You can't get brownie points praying to a saint. If Rick dies tomorrow, you can't pray to me for favor with God. I'll be saying from heaven, are you nuts? There's one mediator, only Jesus Christ. And yet many wonderful Catholic people, dedicated, faithful, good, godly people have been mistaught that they can get favor by praying to Mary with the Father. No. God says one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So if I'm going to come to the Father, I'm coming through Jesus or I ain't coming. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, no man comes to the Father except by me. Clear scripture. No, 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 no uh, confusion about that at all. So please, we don't dishonor anybody, but we understand I got one shot to the Father. It's through Jesus. That's it. It gets confusing out there in religion. I'm aware of that. And so the man Christ Jesus is the mediator who gave himself as a ransom for all. You show me anybody who gave their life a ransom for the world. It doesn't exist. So only one, Jesus. And he was without sin and he had to pay with his own life to die in our place. What a price God paid. So Jesus becomes my mediator. He paid for my right to be adopted and then take me before the Father. He paid the price, and the mediator brings me to the Father. So I have a heavenly Father who believes in me, who chose me, and he wants to bless me and you with all that he has so you can spread the influence of his family in this sorry, dark world. We now have in Christ a new future, forgiveness, new identity, new security, and freedom. Can you, can you imagine being given this incredible gift and then neglecting it? Living below your privilege? I, I, this is kind of funny, but four wealthy brothers decided to give gifts to their elderly mother for Christmas. And she lived pretty far away. And the first son said, 
I built a big house for mom. The second son said, I put a $100,000 theater in that house. The third son said, I, I, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver her a brand new SL 600. The fourth son said, you know how mom loves the Bible, but she can't see well enough to read anymore. I bought her a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 12 years to train that parrot. I had to pay $100,000 a year for 12 years, but it was worth it. So after the holidays, mom sent thank you cards. Dear Milton, the house you built is so large. I live in only one room, but I have to clean the whole thing. Thanks anyway. <laughs> Dear Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered. The Mercedes sits in the garage, but thanks anyway. Dear Michael, the expensive Dolby Sound Theater you gave me holds 50 people, but all my friends are dead and I can't see well enough to use it. Thanks anyway. Dear Melvin, you were the only son to have the good sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Woo! Paul. Paul says you've been given this incredible gift of adoption. Don't neglect it and throw it away or ignore it. You have a great promise. If you're a son, you're an heir. That's the whole point of this adoption deal. There's a father who loves you and wants you to live this kind of a life. If you're a son, you're an heir to all the father has. So here's the deal. The promise, the inheritance is not just something that you're going to get after you die. Jesus has come now in this life. We have been set free now. So Paul says, what you have been set free for is life in the spirit of Jesus, and that spirit is now available. So stop living below your privilege. See, what everybody wants or thinks they can get through money or prestige or power or status or pleasure but cannot is now available through the spirit of life in Christ. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's what everybody really wants, love, joy, and peace. And we keep thinking a right circumstance or the right stuff will get me there. But it never does. It comes through God's spirit. And now that you've been adopted by God, the spirit is available to you through Jesus. And I guess the question is, am I living that way or am I living below my privilege? Author Francis Fenelon writes this. He says, what God asked of us is a will which is no longer divided between him and any other creature. It is a will pliable in his hands. So make certain your chief aim this week is don't take a step without God. Live with a surrendered will. So Whatever's going on at this moment in your life, or your marriage, or at the office, or with a group of people on a ministry team, you can surrender to God's spirit, or you can become impatient, cranky, stubborn, resistant, angry, defensive, or whatever. You know, how often is the Holy Spirit right here, right now, in your life or mine, and we miss him? We live beneath our privilege, of course. When we do that, we're still God's children. Of course we are. We don't forfeit that ever. But surrendering to God's spirit is my inheritance. It's love, it's joy and peace, and it's God at work in me. So Paul says, because you are sons of God, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, who's calling out Abba, Father. 
So God's at work in you and me right now, even if I'm not aware of it. Paul says God sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. And the Spirit is crying out, Daddy, Daddy. Now, Paul doesn't say, I cry out, Abba, Father. He doesn't say, you cry this out. No, the Spirit of God cries that out inside of me. In other words, whether you know it or not, even your longing to be loved is an echo of God's longing to love you. It's God at work inside of you. I read some time ago about a father in a grocery store with a fussy, cranky, and whiny three-year-old, anybody got one? Who would not stop crying. And the father is whispering very quietly, it's okay, Billy, we'll be done soon, Billy. You're gonna be all right, Billy. And a woman hears him and says, you are so patient with your son, Billy. He says, no, ma'am, my son's name is Justin. I'm Billy. Kids, kids will do that to you. Then, then he doesn't know what else to do. So he begins to sing to his son a song, just a goofy song with made up melody and makes up words that goes like, I am so glad you're my son. I'm so grateful I get to be your dad. I love seeing your face. It makes me happy when you smile. I love dreaming of what you'll be one day when you grow up. I want you to know that wherever you go, whatever you do, I'll always love you. I'll always be your daddy. You will never be alone. And little Justin gets really quiet. His eyes get really wide. His face gets really still. His heart gets real calm. And he listens all the way out to the car. So his daddy puts him in the car seat, gets in the front seat to drive off, and Justin says, sing it to me again, daddy. Sing it to me again. And the reason, because you never get too old for that song. And that's the song we're all born to hear, and no other song can take its place. No other song can still your heart. That little boy is no more a son now than before that song. It's just that now he knows in his heart whose son he is. He knows that father is his father, and that's what God wants us to know and do. I actually know it. It's going to be all right. Daddy's got this. I have, you know, every crisis we go through, when I looked at the church damage, when I looked at our own home damage and all, I just, spirit just calmed me down. I remember thinking my covenant promises, the thief shall restore sevenfold. God, you're in control. I've got friends. I've had friends jump in. Many of you did. Some of our folks opened their homes to other people because they had plenty. Others didn't. And I thought, that was the Spirit of God working in all of us. He's my Father. I'm not alone. No matter what the doctor says, no matter what the lawyer says, no matter what life throws at you or business, Daddy is right there. I got a tough Daddy, and everything's going to be all right. I get that privilege when I'm adopted into the family of God. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.